And good morning, everyone. Boys, girls, aliens, whoever's listening. Welcome to another edition, an action-packed edition, of The Other Side of Midnight. And yes, we are live tonight. The gods are in our favor, the stars have aligned, and the technology's working, and we are live from the land of enchantment. I mean, have you ever seen anything like what is going on? Um... I asked uh, Dr. Richard Spence to come on the show tonight because there's so much going on at such an accelerating pace that it's so easy to get lost in the noise. You know, there's that thing about signal-to-noise ratio. But before we get into the show, let me do a couple of things. Um, We were planning last night with George Lambert to do part one of this weekend devoted to what I call the big picture. And as the fates would have it, we're doing part two as part one. And I got to thinking this afternoon, it's probably not bad that we start with Rick because what we're going to look at tonight in a, in, in a certain sense is a comparison with have we ever been down this canyon before? And in fact, it turns out we have. Um, and so we are going to be delaying the part one with Georgia till next Saturday Uh, As my grandmother used to say, God willing and the creek don't rise. I must say that Georgia is not in good shape tonight. She is suffering seriously from the smoke inhalation. And it's not just the smoke. She's in Southern California. She's between two major fires. Something like 27 new fires broke out in the last couple of days in California. California is a nightmare. And it's not the smoke. it's It's the gases. It's the partially burned hydrocarbons. And if you have allergies, it really affects you. Uh, I made some recommendations this afternoon when we talked. She was not in good condition. So I want everyone to say a little prayer. We reach all around the world. There are countless thousands and thousands of you out there all over the planet. Send a, a ray of energy, send a prayer, send a good thought to Georgia Lambert, who was our resident metaphysician. She's in Southern California. That'll kind of localize you in time space and pray that she gets well both for her own sake and so she can do what I'm trying to set up to do next weekend, next Saturday night, which is to basically blow the doors off a couple of very interesting things. For one thing, we have discovered something so striking, so fundamental, so dramatic, so paradigm-changing about COVID-19 that I've been dying for weeks to share it with you. And even though we have not been able to be on the air for a variety of reasons, the research has been going on and we're at the point where we can actually talk about this in public. And we planned to do it last night. We're going to do it next Saturday, again, if George is able to do it. And if not, I will think of a serious plan B. But there are some people who are literally irreplaceable and George is one of them. So I send my love and my care and my appreciation and a prayer that she gets well soon and that she's in tip-top shape for what's going to be an extraordinary evening. I guarantee you, you will not want to turn away because the information that we're going to impart to everyone is original, it's seminal, and it's game-changing, as you will hear. Number two. Um, Ron Gerbron and I have been involved in some totally separate research, which, again, is not quite ready for prime time. But I will give you a hint and say that we have made probably the most 
stunning discovery of extraterrestrial intelligence in this solar system since many decades ago I began to look at Sidonia. It's on that level. In fact, if I was being really honest, don't you love that when someone says that? If I'm being really honest, um, it's even bigger than Sidonia because it puts a lot of the pieces that we've been trying to figure out for decades into a totally additional perspective. And that won't make any sense until we get to do that show. And maybe I'm going to have to even break down and find the time to write a paper because it, again, is a seminal discovery which has shattering implications on the eve of, I mean, we're actually months away, but while three major missions are en route tonight to return to Mars. It's, it's again, of the caliber exceeding even our discoveries decades ago of what Sidonia was trying to tell us. And um, that's no mean feat. Which, of course, segues directly into what my grandmother used to say, uh, which is at the top of tonight's promo. Um, Time is uh, what God uses to keep everything from happening at once. And I said in the promo that it looks to me like God's on vacation because, gosh, is everything happening at once. So let me start with the news. Let me let me, let me start with the uh, um, kind of mainstream, grounded, this is what's going on. As you may have heard over the last couple of days, the President of the United States is uh, camping at uh, Walter Reed Medical Center because he has been discovered to have COVID-19. And the doctors have been giving us semi-regular reports Uh, The problem is they have directly conflicted in the last 48 hours with what the chief of staff, uh, former Representative Meadows, who was the chief of staff of the president, was saying on background to the press. In case you guys don't know how this works, and there's no reason that you should unless you pay attention to news, normally when the president goes on travel, when he leaves to take a trip somewhere, Uh, Every member of the press corps cannot be involved in every press conference or every briefing or whatever. So they designate a rotating pool of reporters who cover those events for the pool. In other words, there's one reporter in the room. He or she is taking notes, recording, asking questions, whatever. And then he or she then reports back to the pool. And the pool has access to that reporter's notes on on the event. And that's then reported out through various media outlets all over the world. Well, uh, yesterday, which was Saturday, there were 10 doctors, all dressed in white coats, that came out and stood on the steps of uh, what used to be the Bethesda Naval Hospital. And the lead doctor, Dr. Conley, who also turns out is a colonel, um, he was the spokesperson for the group, and he was asked several questions and he gave a very, how should I say, a rosy scenario used to be one of the cliched terms in Washington for the kind of briefing he did. And one reporter persistently kept asking him, has the president been on oxygen? Uh, because COVID-19 patients, the typical scenario is they go in, even if they walk in under their own power, the, the virus quickly takes hold. They have a dramatic, tremendous drop in in energy, et cetera, et cetera. 
and their their uh, partial pressure of oxygen or the partial should I say mixing percentage in the bloodstream precipitously goes down so they're put on oxygen um, this doctor for some reason refused to answer the simple question has the president been on oxygen and instead he said well he's not currently on oxygen and he said this several times, and then one the reporter kept persisting and said, does that mean we were to infer that he has been previous? And the doctor refused to answer the direct question, which, of course, when you're dealing with the president of the United States and national security and our global positioning in the world and the launching of looking glass flights off both coasts and maybe submarines prowling around looking for chinks in the armor of the command structure of the United States, etc., etc., Having a forthright, honest representation of the president's condition is absolutely vital, essential, at a whole, a whole bunch of different levels. And we're going to get into some of the ways that we know this when we get to talk to Rick in a couple of minutes here. Um, anyway, so while that was going on, a spokesperson from the White House, a senior spokesperson you know, you can't get much higher than that, was quietly briefing the pool that, in fact, the president was in serious condition, that he had been put on oxygen, and that the next 48 hours, remember, this is last night, were going to be very carefully watched because they could not guarantee a positive outcome. Well, it came out within, I don't know, minutes, maybe an hour, that this secret source, this unnamed source, this on-background source, was none other than the president's right-hand man, the chief of staff of the Oval Office, uh, representative, former Representative Meadows. Well, that, of course, as my grandmother used to say, threw the cat among the pigeons. And for the last 24, 48 hours, the story has been not only the president's health, but why is the White House conflicted? Why are we getting one set of reports out of the doctors and another set of reports out of the chief of staff, who of course is a ranking member of the of the president's team, what he says should be true. Uh, so we had this incredible conflict where no one knew who to believe. And that has continued up until this hour, because this afternoon, after taping a short message uh, saying that he was going to be going out to see his fans, uh, the president got into an entourage and drove out one um, uh, driveway of the uh, Walter Reed National Medical Center, drove down uh, the street, drove into the other driveway uh, after going back and forth in front of his assembled coterie, his cohort, his fans, his voters, his constituency, all while wearing a mask in a closed SUV with maybe three other Secret Service agents, all of whom since the president in this stage of the illness, again, based on, you know, thousands and thousands of other patients, this is when he is the most infectious. So, of course, everybody in the car, if they didn't have COVID-19 before that little trip began, they sure have COVID-19 now. The point is, nothing is as it should be. This is not being handled as most administrations, with a couple of exceptions we're going to talk about, has ever handled these kind of emergencies, certainly in modern history. And it, it raises profound stakes for the credibility 
of the president at all different levels. I mean, if you can't trust the doctors to tell you exactly what's going on, given that there is the whole discussion of transition, the vice president, the line of succession, given how this disease attacks people who are older, who have comorbidities, who are overweight, who have potential diabetes issues, etc., etc. In other words, without sounding hysterical, there's every reason to be watching the president like a hawk because as he goes, as his health goes, so goes the nation. That's item number one, because apparently he's been placed on several drugs, one of which is totally out of the box. That was uh, given to him at the White House, again, before he even got on the helicopter. I knew something was seriously wrong when the um, White House team decided to send him by helicopter to Walter Reed and not to take, you know, the uh, cars, the SUVs. Why? Because at that time of evening in Washington, the traffic is murder, which meant that the White House security and the other people involved in the decision did not want to waste the time sitting in traffic, even with, you know, cars equipped with, with sirens and flashing lights and all this. Time was of the essence to get here. So I knew things were serious even before it was admitted by Mr. Meadows that they were very serious on Friday. Moving on with the, you know, larger rubric around all this, everything happening at once. Item number two, remember, we've just had the potential announcement of the discovery of strong indications of life in the clouds of the planet Venus. Well, by a complete fluke, in the next few days, there is going to be a spacecraft flyby, uh, the European spacecraft flyby of Venus, and they're trying to reprogram the computers to take critical observations, which will give them more information on this potential presence of phosphine in the atmosphere of Venus as a biosignature of some kind of microbial or maybe even larger life. And the reason I put these two stories back to back is because we are swinging wildly between extraordinary paradigm-changing events and they're not waiting consecutively, peacefully, normally to follow. They're all happening at once. Which leads us to item number three. There is an extraordinary controversy over face masks. Um, I'm going to add to the controversy tonight, and I'm going to be discussing this more, hopefully, with Georgia next week. It turns out that face masks, in addition to keeping people from you know, a higher probability of getting this thing if you're in a closed room or standing too close to somebody who has it, etc., etc. It turns out that face masks themselves could be playing a part in keeping people from getting the most severe form of COVID-19. How does that work? Well, it turns out, and this is why the president was, you know, whisked away to uh, uh, Walter Reed, it turns out that the severity of your reaction seems to be correlated with the amount of virus you originally encounter. If you encounter a little bit of virus, the body has time to mount a defense, and apparently that defense is effective enough that a lot of people are asymptomatic. Some numbers I've seen are up to like 50%, which is stunning, because people can be walking around, shedding virus, 
and no one would ever know unless in their wake a lot of people are kind of becoming ill. The other thing is if you have a minimal amount of virus, apparently according to these studies, which are earmarked in that news item, the severity of the disease is markedly less. So how do the masks come in? Because the masks are a barrier. Anything you can between you, your nose, your mouth, those orifices which lead to the interior of the body, to your lungs, to your respiratory system, to your thrombotic system, anything that can keep more of that virus out of you is very effective. Think of it back in the era of SALT, you know, the Strategic uh, Arms Limitation Treaty where we're trying to figure out how do we defend against ballistic missiles. Well, the um, uh, Pentagon people came up with something called a layered defense. If we move that analogy from shooting down missiles to protecting yourself from this airborne virus, the more barriers, the more physical barriers you can put between you and a source of this infection, the better it is. And even stupid masks like bandanas have some effectivity or efficiency. So the better the mask, up to an N95, of course, the less of the viral load your body will receive on your exposure, and that seems to correlate in these studies to the severity, or in this sense, the lack of severity of your reaction until you acclimate, develop antibodies, and fight off the virus. This is, they believe, why a lot of people are asymptomatic. It depends on the amount of their viral load initially. Again, more news to be pursued in future programs. Item number three. This originally was item number one when Rick and I had our first conversation. Uh, there's a very important piece in The Atlantic um, about the election, this coming election. One month from tonight, we are all in voting booths voting. But, of course, you should be voting now. You should be voting by mail-in. You should be voting early voting. You should you know, do it in the safest way possible. Um, the controversies around all this notwithstanding, the elections in the United States are broken down into 50 sub-elections. Remember, each state sets the rules, sets the parameters, sets the conditions. So there's no reason for anybody out there tonight, if you're an American citizen, either here or overseas, not to vote. I'm carefully looking into ways I can do it here in the land of enchantment. And again, there are many, many different options. Um, voting was one of the really interesting things that Rob and I looked forward to every, you know, year, every couple of years. And this year I will be doing it alone. Anyway, that's a very important piece because this year voting is not just, you know, a right. I think it's a duty. I think it's a patriotic duty. If you have been bitching and moaning all year or the last two years, or the last four years or the last eight or whatever, that things don't change. They don't change because you don't vote. I mean, look at the number of people in the last election who literally opted out, who said, ah, packs on both their houses, I'm not voting, or I'm too lazy, or I'm too busy, I've got to go to the game, I've got to do something. No, nothing's more important this year than voting. So whatever you're going to do, whoever you're going to vote for, for God's sake, get out there and vote. It's your one controllable thing you can do to affect the future. Item number five, 
When I called uh, Dr. Spence up originally, I said, well, obviously we should be talking about the importance in this election of the Supreme Court. It turns out that politically, Republicans vote far more for who's going to be on the court than Democrats have traditionally over the years. That has now changed. In this year, Democrats and Republicans are equally aware that the President of the United States, through his or her selection of who's going to sit on the Supreme Court, can affect the future far beyond their one administration or two administrations. And in the sense of picking a young person to sit on the court, like the current nominee from President Trump, uh, she could be on the court and an effective member for the next next 40 or 50 years. Is not that worth a consideration when you go into that you know, voting booth or you fill out your mail-in ballot or you go and vote early? Who's on the Supreme Court? I mean, we lost a giant, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and there is now a vacancy with all the political controversy around it notwithstanding, which Rick and I are going to get into. Voting this year is not just voting for the presidency, it's voting for the issues the court is going to decide literally in the first seven days after this election, which is the future of the ACA, the so-called Obamacare. That is on the docket to be voted on by the Supreme Court by the 10th of November, which means whoever you vote for in that booth for president will have an extraordinary opportunity to appoint the next justice to fill out the eight up to back to nine. And although Mitch McConnell and this president, President Trump, have tried to ram through uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's replacement, it's looking like members of the Senate are falling like dominoes because they're all coming down with COVID-19, all apparently because of their gathering and masks and without masks at that party that the president threw on the South Lawn uh, just a week ago when he uh, announced his selection of Amy um, Coney Barrett. And it's there that all kinds of political people, including his former senior counselor um, and the um, a number of senators, uh, the chairman of the his campaign committee, I mean, the list of Republicans who got captured uh, by COVID-19 at that party is growing. And someone said the other day in an email, it was last night, they said, well, isn't it suspicious that there are no Democrats who, you know, have gotten COVID-19? Well, actually, it's not, because Democrats were not invited to that party. That was a nexus event. That was obviously a super-spreading event. So without... Um, much of an extension of belief, one could almost look at karma. And we will go there next week in much more detail. Which leads me to my conversation tonight with Dr. Spence. Dr. Richard B. Spence is professor of history at the University of Idaho. And since I last read that line, there has been a change. Richard is now Professor Emeritus. He's a young guy, and he's retired from teaching, which means it's wide open to what ever else he wants to do because he's a young guy and now's the time when historians are basically in their element because 
I mean, if you look at the news literally on an hourly basis, new history is being made in front of all of us in real time. Who was it, Rick, who said that um, uh, the news is the kind of first edition of history? The news is the first of <laughs> First <laughs> edition of history. Of history. I, may have, um, I may have mangled that quote. Anyway, and I'm, I'm hearing a high-pitched hum. I, wa- I wonder why there's a hum on the line. Sounds like a buzz saw. There's kind of a buzzing on this end as well. It's not too pronounced. Okay. Anyway. That's been there all along. Okay. So probably we should tackle, uh, to the extent that we can, uh, what's going on with the current president, which will segue perfectly into other examples in history where we've seen peculiarly similar behavior. Please enlighten us. Well, okay, this is one of these places where you need, you know, any looking at this, you always have to pause, take a deep breath, and then say, what do we actually know? Okay, not what does somebody say, all right? What does somebody said someone said, but what do we know? And as far as this current situation with Donald Trump, um, the president, it appears that uh, he has been diagnosed with, with the COVID virus. He is sick, all right? That is the one thing that we know. No one seems to disagree upon that point. He is sick, he is, and he has been diagnosed. He has been hospitalized. That's something else that we know about it. But... Do we know how sick he is? Well, as you were just saying, no, we don't, because we've got conflicting information. Do we know exactly what treatment we do, that he's received? No, we don't know that either. So really, the only thing that we know is that he's sick and he's been hospitalized. And then you begin to get the, 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 the different stories that, that are involved. Here's, here's a, uh, a thing I was talking to my wife about. We were out walking our dogs this evening. And uh, it, it is a, a statement about the press. I don't think it's the same one that you had in mind, but uh, someone, I'm always going to say William Randolph Hearst when someone says something about the press, but it probably wasn't. The idea was that one admonition that a senior editor supposedly gave to his uh, new reporters was never let the truth stand in the way of a good story. Okay. And that's because that's because good stories sell. Good stories and that's one of the things that you got to keep in mind, particularly if you're watching, you know, to pick on them, CNN or Fox or any other of the news outlets, you know, these, these the corporate news outlets, um, because that's, that's their bread and butter in a way, which isn't to accuse them of going out and misrepresenting information. But the point is, people will always naturally gravitate towards the good story as opposed to the one that may be more accurate or the, the truth, which, which isn't as interesting. So... Uh, well, let me you know, let me let, let me let me yeah. stop you there yeah. because in the era, you know, back when we had newspapers, and everything mm-hmm. was filtered through a reporter, an editor, maybe an editorial board, I would say you were accurate. But in these days of twenty-four-seven live cable coverage, where so much of what we're seeing is literally in real time, you're seeing people doing things or people saying things. And then later you get, you know, edited excerpts. But if you catch it or record it in real time, like you're watching history as it happens without a filter, 
without anything between you and the news except the camera and where the camera is pointing, I would say, I would argue that we live in a much more informed society depending upon who you choose to watch. Mm, well, I would kind of disagree with that by saying <laughs> that we probably we think we're in a more informed society, but I'm not sure that we are. How do you cheat one on live? That we, How do you... One of the things that we... Huh? How do you cheat on live? If you're seeing a live, you know, representation of reality, you know, it's live television, how how yeah. can that be edited? How can that be slanted? You're seeing what's going on like everybody else is seeing what's going on if they happen to be there. How is that slanting the news? You mean that no one can take a can take a camera and film something which is fake? No one can stage something? Again, not I'm yet. not saying that's what's done, but... Yeah, you know, well, the, the, the antidote camera, to that is... Look, you, the, you can take a camera and you can make a movie, and you can take a camera and you can film a live event that's actually happening. Now, if you're doing the I, movie... I, I tell you what, well, let me... Let, why don't it, it we... Should what? Be, it should be indistinguishable from the latter. So yeah. you're essentially taking the word of the person who's presenting this to you that what you're seeing is real. Right. Well, that gets us into things like deep fakes and yeah. all that, which is the perfect segue... Yeah. Which is the perfect segue then, to uh, to our, our break. We're at the bottom of the hour, so hold it there. My guest this morning is Dr. Richard Spence. Uh, we are trying to, shall we say, grapple with um, the idea that uh, everything you might see on television is not necessarily real, which gets us into some really interesting territory. In fact, it gets us into this territory. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Richard C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out-there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19-point archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search 
the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Hoagland, over and out. You know, Rick, I, I cannot help make the comparison with that theme you're hearing there in the background. I mean, we are in the twilight zone because you just raised the intriguing idea that everything we're seeing coming through our television screens is somehow a manufactured reality and nothing we can see we can trust because it's all made up in a studio. We're living in a literally so-called live 3D holographic representation. Are you really thinking that? Well, here I go causing problems again. Uh, so that's opening a, a problem board. Do I think that, that everything that we see is, is, uh, is fake? No, but I, but I regard the possibility that it could be, right? That's, it's, comes out of this question again use the term what do you believe what what you know the people often want to know well what should i believe you know, well wait 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 but hang on well, hang on hang on i is cannot he really sick or is he not so sick? i i yeah. cannot let an esteemed academic emeritus or not <laughs> get away with that because that would imply a level of technology and sophistication and coordination which means that everything you and i believe in freedom democracy individual choice free will all that is just crap just totally crap. And it throws well, out Occam's it, razor. Because you have to ask it, yourself it, then, hang on, let me finish. You have to ask yeah. yourself then, with all these various outlets, we've never had more outlets, windows on the world than we have right now. Yes. And yes. I'm not just talking, you know, major networks. I'm talking social media, Facebook, Twitter, all of this. What you're saying is they all have to be controlled or else we don't get another view that's different. And I'm saying that's impossible currently. If we're running someday under an AI, I would concede easily that that could be a, you know, ultimate black hole. But right now, given the number of different outlets which carry the same live, you know, information, depending upon the editorial over that information, I'm still firmly of the belief that when you see a live television shot on any network, it's really live television. Go ahead. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I have no particular reason to disbelieve that shot of the other one, but 
my measurement is this: is is what it does is what I'm seeing. Does it make sense? All right. Does this seem reasonable and sensible? It, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my gut on something like that more than otherwise. But the point is, is that everything is you know there's there's information and there's disinformation, and we live in a sea of data which is thrown out some of which, most of which perhaps is legitimate information because there's no reason for it to be otherwise, but that, that doesn't have to be the case. I mean, there is, a, there is a constant effort by on any number of fronts to control the narrative about what that's going on. That's, that's a term, I think it's coming, the, the concept of controlling the narrative. History is about controlling the narrative. So there are lots of things that are recorded in history. There are lots of there are lots of our views of historical events that are, you know, probably profoundly flawed uh, because the information that went into creating them was flawed. The point is, is that one of the most difficult things to figure out in anything, Richard, is is what really happened. And even if you're there, even if you're there on the spot, if you ever notice the the, uh, the Rashomon effect, you have, let's say, a dozen people who are all at the same place and at the same time and supposedly witness the same event, but you will probably get a variation in their perceptions of what happened. They're, they're all not going to perceive things in, in exactly the same way. I mean, anybody who's doing criminal investigation finds this out all the time. Eyewitnesses are often highly unreliable because they want it. Was the car black or was the, or was the, was the car green or, or was it red or did somebody not think that there was a car there at all? Now, part of that isn't because different people who witness this, you know, one is smarter than the other can put it through. It's because really, even if people are in the same place at the same time, even if there are cameras covering the same demonstration, they're not seeing exactly the same thing. That is, whatever direction you're focused in, wherever you are, you're not seeing what happens outside your peripheral vision. You never see what happens behind you where someone standing right next to you in the same place in the same time looking in the opposite direction will not see things exactly the way that you or someone else would. And that's one of the reasons why you get these different variations. Well, let, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me, let me, immediately let me, let me stop is, is you there. What what actually happened, yeah. Let me stop you there, okay? That used to be true in every scenario in human history. Uh, courtrooms, uh, live events, political events, speeches, whatever. Because you only could see it once when it happened. And your attention can only be in one given direction. I would strenuously argue that in this day of incredible, insatiable, multiple media with cameras everywhere, with, you know, the average person now has more ability to capture a live event than, than CBS News did when I was working for Cronkite. One person with a smartphone. And there's not one person, there's millions of people with smartphones. They're all looking in different directions. They're all posting different takes, different versions on social media. And ultimately everything is recorded, which means if you don't know, remember whether the car was red or green, just play play the tape back. It's actually not even tape anymore. It's a digital, you know, solid state memory. The point is, we are so 
covered from such multiple angles that I don't think the first part of your dissertation is really accurate because we don't have to depend on memory. We just hit the DVR. Well, we have to depend upon an artificial medium to tell us what happened. That's the point is, is that what you then have to do if you want to control... No, but you're saying, you, you said a moment ago, that it, but you said a moment ago that if you're at a live event, even then you can't be certain because you're only one person with one point of view. Now you've got a thousand people at events with cameras showing you a thousand different points of view. Now, having the time to go through it, that's that's another higher level discussion. The point is, I would argue that we have many more sources of a look at reality from all kinds of different points of view. We just have to really, really, really want to know. But I think that we generally don't look at them, and that becomes part of the problem itself, is that there are so many different... I mean. One of the things now is that there's there's so much stuff posted on YouTube or wherever you can find it. There's 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 all of this deluge of, of, of information, and all of which doesn't agree with each other on every issue. Uh, there are, you know, I I I think that the sheer amount of information itself becomes overwhelming. And the mere fact that there could be a thousand different views of a particular event, the point is, is that nobody's going to sit down and look at all of those. But they're there for historians. You're still pretty much going to go by one. But they're there for historians. They're there for professionals like you looking at history. Are they not? They're on. They're on millions of people or thousands of people's cell phones, and those might be. Those might. Those might continue to exist, or they might be erased tomorrow. No, they're in the cloud. If you don't have, if you they, don't have access they, to it now, you can't be sure you'll have access to it later. Yeah, but so many people upload stuff. I mean, that's their reason for living, you know, having a Twitter account, having, you know, a Facebook account, sharing yeah. everything. So the paucity and of material is not a problem. You can, you, can up, you can upload anything. Well, you're ultimately saying that the I world mean, the is point, totally out is, of our camp. You, don't, you cannot say for certain that what you are seeing, because you're not there, you're watching something, whether that is an authentic event or whether it but is a But you're even saying, Rick, event. you're even saying that if you're there, you can't trust what you're seeing because you're looking in one direction and the important stuff could well, be happening can't. behind you. Which means that trying to figure out in any situation what actually happened at a particular point in time is one of the most difficult things <laughs> to do. And this, boys and, and girls, and is coming from a professional historian. And that's why that's why that's why historians exist. All right, really, which is to try to is really to sort of create some kind of narratives out of these, in many ways, sort of random random things that happen. But it's also why there's more than one historian because there are different points of view about that. Um, you know, okay, becomes, I presume this is going somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that you have to be. It's important to pay attention to things as they're happening. And this is, this is where we come back to this issue with the, for the president's current health. You have to, again, pay attention to what you know, and then you have to separate that from what is basically the speculation around it or the, or the differing information. So you know the president is sick. You know that he has been hospitalized. Hang on, hospitalized, hang on, let me stop you there. You noted, let, hang on, hang on. Let me, let, have, let, Rick, yeah. Rick, let me stop you there, because this is, you know, this, this Skype delay is killing me. We don't even know he's sick. 
I was watching because no. when I watch all this stuff, I I record it because the first live stuff I found through bitter experience is real. What's edited later, what's purveyed through news media, through organization. Remember, I used to work for one of the largest ones on the on the planet. I learned early on the first cut of history is what you want to record because things will change depending upon what was that old cliche? History is written by the winners. Well, it's gotten yes. so much worse now because it's written by the amateurs. <laughs> All okay. those multiple. Okay. Okay. See, that's what I mean by controlling the narrative. So that's let me let me let me let me go back to the point I was going to make. I saw a major, recognized, internationally recognized national security expert sitting on a mainstream television network, look into the camera, and say with the gravitas of his years of experience, his naval tradition, his his published books his credibility, his professionalism, he said, I'm not even sure the president has COVID-19. And to find that in the major media, I think is both a step forward to raise the issue for people that, unlike you and me, don't think about this stuff most of the time, but it also represented the, the beginning of a long fall down an endless black hole because if we really can't trust what we're seeing, then democracy is over. Well, I think that that guy was uh, mentioning was something. I mean, just today, okay, here is here is one of the, uh, it is a conspiracy theory. It certainly is that someone shared today with me. And I'm sure some you know people out there have heard this. And that's it. No, you see, Trump isn't actually sick at all. This is all being faked so he can avoid the debates Mm -hmm. or that he can some way manipulate this into delaying the election. Now, keep in mind, this is the same person who told me that was a person who told me probably a couple of weeks before that, yes, Trump is plotting to to delay the election, to prevent the election, to carry out a coup. They didn't know. They had no idea actually what he was going to do or how he was going to do it, but they were certain that he was plotting to do it. Now, the basic argument, which which isn't just for them, they got this from somebody else who got it from somebody else, is that this whole COVID infection is essentially a political ploy to avoid debates or to lay some other sort of nefarious plan. Now, if you're going to turn around and ask me, do I believe that's the case? No, I don't believe anything about it because I don't have enough information. <laughs> Seems kind of dubious to me, but is it inconceivable that that could be the case? Why should it be? I mean, well, but the, hang on, hang on. The, 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 see, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a scientist. I, I start from the position of how do you check reality? That's what science is, yeah. trying to figure out reality. And that's why when I get to my COVID stuff next week, hopefully, um, it's going to blow a lot of people's minds because I'm not depending on anybody telling me anything. I've gone back to original source data, and I know it's original because we'll, we'll explain how we know that later next week. The point is I've tried to approach this from a scientific point of view. What is this thing called COVID-19? What is it doing to us? Why did it appear now? And I've got some amazing answers that I didn't think I was going to get. You know, the, the results took me in directions I could not have imagined when I started this quest many, many weeks ago. Um, 
when a national security professional sits on network television and says we cannot trust that the president is even ill, I mean, that kind of matches with a number of other incongruities, like if this was any other era, I'm thinking back to Eisenhower and his heart attacks, I'm thinking back to Nixon and his uh, bitis, I'm thinking back to a couple of presidents, Reagan and Bush, uh, two who had operations, who handed off under the 25th Amendment the presidency to the vice president for a limited period of time. I'm thinking back when things were normal and nothing for the last four years in the political you know, uh, environment arena has been anywhere close to normal. So the first thing I thought of when I heard the news was maybe he's not ill. But my go-to position was not that it's being faked for the election, something that trivial, or for the debate, which is even more trivial, but because he needed to be elsewhere to take care of the ultimate in national security problems where his absence, including his absence in tweeting, would be noticed so someone would come up with a plausible excuse. He's got COVID. He's going to Walter Reed. He's in these apartments. He's doing these little videos. But my fundamental question was, is he really taking care of business as the president should to keep us all alive and feeding into that conspiracy idea right after the announcement that he was, you know, uh, that he had the disease, two looking glass flights. You know what they are. They're the doomsday Mm -hmm aircraft that patrol off the east and west coast in case of thermonuclear war with Russia, Iran, China, North Korea, etc., etc., were launched. And there's been a whole bunch of publicity coming out of the Pentagon now. This is situation normal. Nothing was connected. But it was that kind of... I, I look for ancillary evidence, and outrageous as it may seem... The one set of data points in the real world that I saw immediately was the looking glass flights not only occurred, but they were cited by opposition and the Pentagon in a kind of a tug of war on the accuracy of the information. One side saying this indicates we're up to something major is going down. The other side saying, no, it's situation normal, nothing to see here, move along, move along. you've done one of the most important things which is to look at what else is happening at the same time okay which everybody Uh, needs to do we have to become really smart consumers of social media and any kind of media these days because I agree with your premise up front everything is suspect I would argue there are ways there are checks that we can perform ourselves to get a high level probability that what we're seeing in terms of events is going on. We may not know the reasons, but at least we can trust the events. Well, generally, the more information you have that tend to, you know, I guess the basic scientific method, right? The more times you can kind of replicate the information, the more times, the more points you can gather that tend to support the same conclusion. Yep then the stronger a conclusion that becomes. But then you, you know, you're always sort of confronted with things which are, you know, diametrically opposed to that. I mean, well, that's, you know, you, you kind of, what we've really got with Trump, in other words, is that what do we know? Well, let's take it back that maybe we don't know that he's actually sick. What we know 
And do we even know he's in the hospital? Well, you just raised the possibility he might be. What we know is that we've been told he has COVID, that he's sick, and that he has been hospitalized. And then this afternoon, we had that bizarre drive-by where he, in an SUV and a whole caravan, against every CCD recommendation for patients with COVID-19 could possibly break, drives up and down the street to show his supporters he's really there at Walter Reed, which raises the next level question. You only saw him through the glass waving of an SUV with like six inches of bullet plate armor as a glass. Was that really the president or was that a double? Well, see, the, the, doubt, the doubt has now been planted, right? Oh, the doubt's already I, al- already I, been there. Well, I mean, but I mean, it was you know the the uh, the national security official who raised that. Po- Remember, all he did was to he didn't say this was the case. He no, didn't no, say no, no. that he, it is fake. He's just saying, could it be? And by raising that possibility, which is however remote it might be, still a possibility. That's now led to a questioning of other things. But but it comes back again that if all we really know is that we have been told something, then we really don't know anything, do we? Which is true of 99.9999% of the planet we live on. How many of us are front row for anything except our own lives? So we are totally dependent yeah. on media to give us reality, are we not? And the smart ones of us try to look at competitive multiple media to get a cross-check on reality from different points of view, different electronics, different cameras, different camera positions. I'm kind of talking now about live events, you know, like speeches or, you know, ceremonies or whatever. The point is that ultimately it's really a kind of a Heisenberg principle of sociology. How do you really know anything? Yes, it comes back to the, the the most basic. How do we really know anything? Uh, you know, I think we make the best bet we can, and then cross our fingers and go for it. What else? What else can you do? Well, see, that's why right? I've had a kind of a rule of thumb when it comes to this administration, to the president, etc. And I've said it many times on the show. I only go by what I see live, and I flip between CNN and Fox and PBS and MSNBC. And even Facebook sometimes, you know, but I, I prefer live television because I, I know that milieu. I know how hard it is to get cameras to where you can see live events. So I kind of understand the systems. And I only, I, I don't even depend on edited versions afterwards. I re- try to record key things live so I have it on my own, you know, DVR. And I, I make comments based on what I saw live and I look at a different number, I kind of dial through the dial when something's going on, because sometimes you do get a different perspective, which gives you a different point of view. The point is, even with that restriction, if there is a sufficiently sophisticated AI, all of those feeds could be doctored. Are we there yet? I don't think so, from everything else I know, but we're rapidly getting there. I mean, Robin and I used to have this discussion Years ago, when Whitney Houston did an interview and they added like 20, 30 pounds to her, et cetera, et cetera, during a so-called live event. So the technology has been available to edit in real time. The question is how many people could be involved in that and it wouldn't leak. Well, and it's like the current issue with it's just kind of cropping up in terms of, of deep fakes. That is things done so well that it's 
you, know, you really can't distinguish them. Now, here's the thing that's the most important thing to me in that, is that there are people who are doing them. Okay, it doesn't matter whether they're doing a lot of them. It doesn't matter how many of them are actually out there, whether you have to worry about it now. But the point is, there are people, even as we speak, who are devoting their time to basically make the art, I'll call it, of media manipulation more pervasive and more sophisticated than it has ever been. So that this, this is the two things we have together. We've got more and more information available. We've got more and more views. We've got more and more data. But at the same time, we also have the increasing ability, I think, to manipulate that data and to essentially create that data. So that increase, so at that point, the distinction between you know, it's always a question of whether or not you're seeing any, you know, what you're seeing is real or not, but that, that's not going to become less than it. it's going to increase. And the more information available is simply more information that that can be potentially done to. Okay, I know so, that uh, question, question. extraordinarily paranoid, but, you know, there you go. No, 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 it's, it's not, I don't think it's unreasonable because we're moving in that yeah. direction. The trend curve is not good. But as, yeah. and we, like, we're about three minutes to the top of the hour, um... My question then would be, for every force, for every, um, shall we say, offense, if we're thinking of this in terms of a war uh, analogy, there has been historically the discovery, the development of a defense, right? So what is the defense? And we don't have time to answer before the break, but I want to think about defenses because in my mind, given the incredible sophistication of computers, and the development of real AI and the cheapness of memory and the plunging, you know, cascade of Moore's Law and all that, will it not be possible, if not now, probably in the next, you know, two or three years, for ordinary citizens sitting at home to have an algorithm that's looking at the digital data stream and if a deep fake comes in, can they not detect it, flag it, and warn everybody about it in real time. In other words, the citizenry will have the algorithms to fight back. Maybe. Maybe. Why would this but be different than any pre- an algorithm to defeat that algorithm? And then there will be, in other words, force counterforce, force counterforce, right? Yeah. But okay. that's the way history uh, has kind of proceeded, has it not? It's more than that, Richard. It's progress. Well, I think trying it's... to come up with a with something that will defeat whatever it was that the, the opposition has, and then having them try to best you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what keeps things going. That's why airplanes are as fast as they are. <laughs> well, that's an interesting analogy. All right, I tell you what, hold it there. We're at the right. top of the hour. My guest this morning is Dr. Richard Spence. We're discussing something really elemental. What can we believe? That's not a trivial question. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, 
and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>